Are you looking to learn more about investing in the central Indiana real estate market? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast with TNH Realty, where we discuss all things related to investing in the central Indiana real estate market. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Indie Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Tallman with TNH Realty. We are a residential property management company that services the central Indiana market. The title of this podcast today is the state of the short-term and mid-term rental market in central Indiana. And with me today to discuss that topic, and probably, if we're honest, several more, is Nick Giulioni. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, really, really appreciate you having me on here today. Uh, I'm excited to talk about short-term, mid-term, whatever the heck else we we decide to talk about here. I'm, yeah. I'm ready to go. I got your name right. I'm, I'm I'm proud of myself. I wrote it down phonetically, so I could, <laughs> so I looked at it real quick. So I got it. But uh, so Nick, you're a local investor. You own a yeah. couple of you own a couple of businesses at least. I think you have an interesting story. I've heard your background a little bit. Yeah. Why don't you tell everyone who doesn't know who you are what you do? Give everyone your background, how you became involved in investing. Yeah. What makes you someone that I want to talk to here today, I guess? Yeah. Well, I, I think we both are, are going to try and figure out the answer to that question. But yeah, I'm more than willing to give the background here. Uh, it's kind of a, a weird one. I actually grew up in, in Los Angeles. I had basically no ties to Indianapolis whatsoever. Um, met my wife in, in college, and we bought our first house down there in Southern California. We, it was a house hack. It was It was amazing. And, you know, it was, it was a stretch from a financial perspective because California, but, but we made it work and it was a really cool start to getting addicted to receiving rental income. I think everybody gets that first rent check and, and they're, yeah. they're addicted to it from that point forward. Um, but shortly thereafter, I actually had my job publicly threatened by a terrible boss. Basically, I was told that if I didn't do something that was illegal, they were going to find somebody who would. Oh. And I remember that moment, that, that just like crystallizing moment of, being on the phone with my buyer. And, and I found my way out of the situation. I didn't have to do anything illegal, but telling this person, hey, if you don't do this, you're probably going to be talking to somebody else tomorrow. And mm -hmm. that absolute terror. And so from that day forward, I knew that if that ever happened again, I needed to be able to, to give this guy the middle finger and walk out the door. Right. And so shortly thereafter, and I, I didn't get very much buy-in from my wife, and that was a mistake on my part. I should, probably should have done a better job. Um, I bought a turnkey out here in in Indianapolis. It went terribly. We immediately had a, a vacancy eviction. It was it was just bad across the board, but that wasn't enough to dissuade me. I had seen the rent-to-value ratios. I had seen the positive net migration. There were a million reasons why Indianapolis was a great market. And so I began investing out here from Southern California uh, we moved a couple more times within California and built our portfolio out here in Indianapolis, got it up to in the ballpark of 50 or 60 properties. And then COVID hit and mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I looked at each other and said, hey, we're we're renting up here in the Bay Area now. We're paying four thousand dollars a month for this shoebox. Um, why don't why don't we just move out there for six months since our jobs are remote anyway right now? And so we did. And I remember driving into Indianapolis and my wife just looks at me and she goes, six months and not a day longer. And <laughs> I remember being out on a hike there shortly thereafter. And we ended up, you know, we'd been walking through some forests up in Hamilton County. We ended up like walking into some new build development. And my wife looked at me and goes, how much does that house cost? And I knew I had it from that moment right. forward. And we've been Hoosiers ever since. Uh, bought our dream house here in Carmel and and are absolutely in love with it. And since that point, I, I left my job at, uh, at Meta. 
and now now run a couple of different businesses. I've got 50 or 60 rentals at any given point in time. I've mm-hmm. got a um, couple of wedding venues uh, and run a, a construction company because, and we can talk more about that. I realized contractors suck and uh, needed to, to take control of that entire situation uh, and then help people get started in real estate investing. It's changed my life and I try to, to help as many people kind of go through that that same path I did, hopefully making a few a few less mistakes along the way. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think you have a really cool story. You know, we represent a ton of investors that don't live here. Um, a lot of them live in California, like you. I don't know of anyone, I'm sure there are other examples of people who've actually moved to Indianapolis because they were so invested here. I think that's a really cool story. So, and we've talked about, you know, not just you and me, but just generally speaking about the migration out of bigger, more expensive cities. And because COVID allowed that, right? I mean, it was just an easier move because you you became remote or maybe you were yeah. already, but it just kind of, it was that impetus to say, look, I'm guessing the house you bought in Carmel, um, price per square foot wise was, was not comparable to what you had in the Bay Area. Uh, no, no, absolutely not comparable. So the, the first house we bought in Southern California back in 2016, uh, we bought that place for about $650,000, but it needed a bunch of work. So we were all into it for about 700 when it was all you know said mm-hmm. and done. Uh, our house here in Carmel, um, 4,300 square feet of brand new construction, um, about the same amount. Like it's it's right. just absolutely astronomical, the, the quality of life. And I think COVID did, you know, it was absolutely terrible. I, I don't think anybody should should look back too, too fondly on COVID, mm-hmm. but it did do a couple of things. Well, I'm sure we'll touch on it a little bit uh, further down the road when we talk about short-term rentals, but it accelerated so many trends that mm-hmm. uh, that we're seeing. Like you were saying, the, the migration, the ability to, to work remote, which companies kind of had a, a line in the sand about before that point. And, you know, at, at COVID allowed it and unlocked a lot of those those rules that, that had existed for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, let's get into this a little bit. I think most people know what a short-term rental is. Okay, it's the yeah. Airbnb, it's the VRBO. That's, I think, pretty easy to determine. That's when someone comes in and rents your house for a night or three nights or a week or something like that. Yeah. Let's talk about the definition of midterm. Because I think there's yeah. some confusion out there about what what is a... What is a midterm rental? Can you kind of put a a uh, a quick definition of this is the time frame, this is what it needs to have, things like that. Yeah. Like what is midterm? So what I'll say is that all of these terms are super fluid and and you know there there's nothing super defined about each of them. With that in mind, when we talk about short-term rentals, for the most part, we're talking about furnished situations where the house mm-hmm. has been outfitted. People just need to show up with their clothes and they're ready to, to stay in your house. Generally speaking, we're talking about less than 30 days from a short-term perspective in most situations. And again, you know, uh, there, there can be exceptions to that rule. Midterm rentals actually have a very similar definition set in that for the most part, the house is outfitted. Usually utilities are included. Usually uh, you know, somebody needs to show up with their laptop and, and their uh, rollerboard and they're ready to go in your home. But for most situations, what that means is that we're talking about 30 days plus from a midterm perspective. Um, so so that tends to be the differentiating point and the differentiating uh, line. And, and the actual customer set's very different between the two. A short-term rental, that's generally somebody looking to vacation. They're in town for a conference. Very short. Hey, the same same use case you would use for a hotel. A midterm rental doesn't necessarily have the the greatest you know analogy to the the 
you know, pre two thousands world that I've, I've found necessarily. And the people who are staying there are, are digital nomads. The people that we were talking about before it's mm-hmm. traveling professionals, like traveling nurses, um, or people. And, and I hate, I hate whenever I see these, I mean, it's great for my business, but, um, I hate when I see it, but insurance issues, Hey, somebody's house burnt down the, the right. roof caved in and they need a place to stay for, you know, two to six months. That right. tends to be where you, you see midterm rentals. The differentiation between short-term and midterm kind of makes sense, uh, but then it can also get a little blurry when you're talking about the long-term rental space as well, because in some long-term rentals, utilities are included. So it's, you can't necessarily make yeah. that the differentiation. Uh, and in some midterm rentals, they're not necessarily as furnished. So uh, it gets a little murkier there between the midterm and long-term, which can benefit a lot of people depending on HOAs and, and city restrictions and stuff. Yeah. So let me ask you this. And we, you know, the other category here is long-term rentals and that's what, you know, we yeah. specialize in, but what's the longest just for reference that you've ever seen or had personally someone in a midterm rental? Yeah. Uh, so usually in most situations, I actually have people sign a lease yeah, similar okay. to, to what you would do for a long-term rental. You don't obviously do that in the short-term rental side. Um, I've signed leases for 12 months, but I've had people extend beyond that as well because things came up, they, they enjoyed the home. And so I think the longest we've probably seen is anywhere in that 16 to 18 month before wow. uh, it became yeah prohibitively expensive. Yeah, I, I can imagine because we'll talk about this a little later, but I'm sure you get premiums for those midterm rentals. So that helps. Thank you, Nick. I think, you know, I want to just make sure that everyone understands for the record, we, TNH, we don't do short-term or midterm rental management in the classic sense, like you just uh, illustrate. Now we've had plenty of issues or cases where insurance companies call us and say, we have a dislocated family, had a fire, um, and they're going to do a repair. They're going to be doing a new bill, whatever the case. So they want to sign a three-month lease and they want to go month to month. Now, we're okay with that. We can do that, but we don't have the furniture piece. So typically what we've seen is insurance companies will, like you mentioned, outfit the property with furniture. And so we sign a lease and it can go from three months to six months to eight. You know, it depends on the on the on the, how fast insurance companies can work and contractors can work. But generally speaking, you know, here we we focus on long-term rentals. So six months or more is kind of our mm-hmm. is what we like to, to deal with. We've had plenty of meetings over this. Do we want to get into this space? I've actually talked to a couple of really successful operators in the space. And we just feel like from our company today, we don't want to make that leap. It's Arguably, in this, it is in the same industry. I get it, but it is a very different type of business to run. It's we talked about this briefly yesterday. It's hospitality is the is the name of the game, particularly in yes. short term rental. Uh, people expect, like you mentioned, walk in with their suitcases and have everything they need, not unlike a hotel. And so it's just it's that very very high touch concierge level service that you don't see necessarily on the management day-to-day management and a long-term rental. So I, I think you're totally right there. Um, and you know, it, it completely changes the way you have to staff because you need mm-hmm. to have cleaners, you need to have significantly more maintenance. You can't have, and again, I don't know necessarily what TNH's, you know, staff to, to door count is, but you know, let's say it's a hundred for the sake of conversation, 80 or hundred, you're probably talking more like one to 20, uh, ratio uh, when you're in the short-term, midterm space. So I think that's totally smart of you guys to to stay in your lane. People are going to have demand there uh, for for the long-term rentals for 
the foreseeable future. And, and you know, I think, you know, we, we see fluctuations and and really it's a, it's a very different way of dealing with with a tenant base. In the long-term rental space, the owner, I would say, at least in, in Indiana, uh, tends to have a decent amount of control. Like you enter a contract with somebody and if they don't uphold their end, there are, are damages or evictions associated with it. The power is very different on the short-term side. Midterm's a little bit in, in the middle, but mm -hmm. on the short-term side, it's one of those one-sided, I would say, marketplaces in that you know the the guest basically gets to ruin a the reputation of a building if they decide to. If you don't right. treat them with the utmost respect, if you don't go above and beyond for each and every tenant, then then they leave you a one star review and that tanks you in the algorithm. Right. It tanks your ability to to make money. So I think you're totally right where you get to to kind of hold the line for your owners in in a really powerful way on the, the long term side. You can't necessarily do that on the short term. You have to bend over backwards to do uh you know above and beyond for for each and every guest. Yeah, I've look I've I've had my toe in short term rental space personally because we're thinking about buying something in Tennessee. My son just moved down there. We love the Smoky Mountains. And I've been learning a little bit about what makes an effective short-term rental because this is a, something we buy and then, you know, we'd use it a few weeks uh, now and then down the road later, um, maybe a lot more. But someone told me recently um, that you had to have a 4.5 or a 4.8 star, something like that. Yeah. To really, to really get a decent amount of bookings. So if you're below that, you become like, <laughs> yeah. know, I don't know what the right word is, but you're not as desirable for people. They'll pass you by. Is that, am I, is that you're true? 100% correct. Mm -hmm. um, what I'll say, and, and this is similar to like Uber drivers and, and stuff where it's, it's five star or zero is really the, the way people view it. A four star <laughs> right. review really tanks you. And yeah. that's a struggle for a lot of a lot of guests who want to give constructive feedback and want to say, hey, this was okay. But a, really a four-star review is an absolute travesty. I, I'm heartbroken whenever we get a four-star review. Wow. Yeah, that's that's tough. So okay, let's take a take a few minutes. Nick, I heard you talking a while back about and I'm curious, I think this is six, eight months ago, and I'm curious if this has changed. Because I, I just read, you know, I, I try to stay on top of this market, even though we're not part of it here locally. Yeah. And tell me your your thoughts. Because I, I believe you spoke, again, several months ago about maybe a migration more away from short-term and into midterm. Um, I've read some very positive prospects for Indianapolis as a short-term rental market in 2024. Anecdotally, I see you know, a lot of our, a lot of clients that we pick up are getting out of it and want to do long-term. So give me your overall feel of the short-term and midterm rental market as it relates to central Indiana. Yeah. And I could go so many different directions with this, but what <laughs> I'll say, and I'll tie it back to what we talked about before, which is the pull up in, in a change in market dynamics. COVID did that. Um, uh, you know, starting in 2020, nobody wanted to go to a hotel. They didn't want to be next to anybody. Right. They didn't want to catch catch COVID. And, and it was, you know, really scary. And that's why Airbnbs, and, and I'm not talking about the original uh, vision of Airbnb where you have a mattress on the ground. I'm talking about renting out your entire home, VRBOs. We saw such an increase in demand uh, for those that prices started to skyrocket. And what, what we saw is just an incredible yield for anybody who had one up there. And so everybody and their mom decided that they were going to 
turn these long-term rentals or these kind of meh houses, I would say, mm -hmm. into Airbnbs. And you know what? For 2020, 2021, everybody made a killing because there just wasn't enough supply to, to fulfill the demand that was being pulled away from hotels and just the, the desire for more local vacations. And so what we started to see in 2022 is an absolute downturn in the amount of, of demand. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, the supply sucked. There was a yeah. lot of just really bad houses out there. Houses, you know, and again, I'm going to tie this back to, to central Indiana, but, you know, th there aren't a whole lot of areas in 46218 that people should be renting from an Airbnb perspective. Right. I'm just, I'm going to throw it out there and all the owners out in that area can can throw their hate at me. But, you know, there just there were so many bad houses out there that uh, people's experience was pretty poor. On top of that, the market hadn't necessarily uh, shifted yet and, and the feedback hadn't been received by hosts yet about all the demands that they were making on their guests to, to clean up the unit after they were done and then still get charged a $200 cleaning fee when it was all said and done. And so people kind of looked at this. They realized that there are absolute exceptions to this. But the demand for short-term rentals went down because the experience at a hotel was better. And once we all felt you know, we were vaccinated, we were pretty safe, COVID probably isn't going to get us this time, um, then we were willing to go back to a hotel because there are so many advantages to, to running a hotel. There's economies of scale uh, that are, are there and, and certain quality assurances that you're able to get as a guest by working working with a hotel. So it oftentimes is, is cheaper. So what I've seen personally is a lot of these houses, like you're saying, are, are being taken off the market. A lot of the supply is coming down as demand has fallen, so has supply. And I have seen a lot of people shift either into the midterm or the, the long-term space. Now, I do think that short-term rentals can be wildly successful if you do it right, if you manage it appropriately, if you have something that's unique, if you just have you know essentially a hotel room that's your house, that's more expensive than a hotel room, you're going to lose 10 times out of 10. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a beautiful home, that's a luxury experience, you've got a pool table, you've got, you know, ping pong, you know, whatever it is that gets people excited about coming to your place and, you know, potentially getting more people into to one shared living opportunity, then I think you can be successful if you're in a nice, safe area. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of these are being taken off the short-term platform. What a lot of people have also done is they've transitioned from short term into the midterm space. Hey, it's a little bit more of an econo lounge kind of thing or an econo lodge kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, make it into a a you know middle end type of of unit that that the the midterm rental that the nurses that the insurance companies uh, would want to use. But I've also seen quite a few people just decide to to sell and get out and or uh, transition into to long term. You know, I, for the longest time, I, I would talk to to people who were starting out. And they would show me their numbers because I, I always like to to understand as people are, are getting started. Hey, like, let me help poke some holes in your your theories here as you're, you're getting started. And what I was seeing consistently through 2020 and 2021 was people BSing their numbers by by having them in Airbnb. And I consider any time that you only have one exit strategy, one way of being successful is BSing your numbers. And and I was seeing that consistently. And I think that we've we've seen that drop off. Uh, Bigger Pockets has obviously written a book here, I think, in the last year or so on midterm rentals. So we're seeing that start to to surge, and I'm sure that we're going to hit some type of equilibrium point between the supply and demand here. That's going to, you know, make that a, a less appealing thing in the the just you know the the medium term future. Yeah, I'd like to talk about you know I I'll go back to the Smoky Mountain short term rental market mm -hmm. and 
you know, there's a huge demand. It's the, it's the, it's the most visited national park in the country and the themes down there, a lot of mountain themes, a lot of bear themes, right? I mean, there's tons of bears, <laughs> smoky mountain black bears are, you know, the highest population density in the, in the world, I think. But the thing that I see just so consistently in that short-term rental, and you mentioned this a little bit about what, you know, the things you need to have mm-hmm. are pool tables, like you mentioned, hot tubs yep. are huge on a deck, you know, outdoor hot tub on a deck. And then a lot of video games, which I think actually are more for people like you and me, the stand-up consoles, as opposed to the handheld Sony, you know, PlayStations, things like that. You're right. I think you have to be different, right? You have to set yourself yeah. apart. There was just a story about a guy who opened an Airbnb, like a horror theme, which I think would push a lot of people off. But probably a certain segment would be so interested in that, but it is very different. You're right. It's like themes sell. It seems like mm-hmm. people want to have a theme where that's a beach theme or a Pacers theme or a Colts theme or whatever. Is that, is that a key I'm assuming to, to getting a, a successful short-term rental? Yeah. It's about separating yourself from two things. First is the hotel. So hotels are, are really good at giving you a sterilized experience. How mm-hmm. can you separate yourself that, that you you might not appeal to everybody, but you're going to appeal to your niche. I think, I think you've, you've hit it on the, the head there. The second thing is how do you compete with the other listings on the platform? Obviously we, we all like to take pretty photos. We all like to have our 4.9 reviews, you know, all, you know, 4.9 to five-star reviews, but yeah, how are you going to differentiate yourself as people look there on the platform? Yeah. They're going to look at the, the proximity to wherever they're trying to be. But the other thing that they're very quickly going to look at is what's your cover photo? What is going to draw them to click to the next photo? So I think you're, you're, you're hitting it on the head. You're competing against everybody else on the platform in addition to, to every hotel. So yeah, you've got to find a way to differentiate. And, and I don't necessarily think you need to have stand-up arcades or anything like that. I think that that's a really cool thing to do. You know, I've got a couple of Airbnbs that have pool tables, ping pong tables, all that jazz, potentially just giving a luxury experience. Right. Uh, I've seen just very high-end houses in, in Bates Hendricks do really well because they look at the photos and they're like, my gosh, I can't afford to own that house, right. but I sure as heck can stay there for a couple of nights and and show off to, to my wife or, you know, whatever that looks right. like. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. I want to start at the buying process a little bit here. And you, you know, you're uniquely positioned because you advise people, you coach people essentially, right? With your off-leash investments. Is that, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Nailed it. So people come to you and they say, Hey, Nick, I want to buy a short-term rental. Mm-hmm. And it's, so let's just say it's owner-occupied even, or it's vacant. It's, it's been turned and it's, you know, ready to go. You have to, I think, talk about exit strategies. I would assume that you advise people look at this as a long-term rental from a numbers perspective before you go to short-term. Is that, I'm assuming that's the best philosophy because it seems to me it's dangerous to go into it if you're running expected nightly rents and season out, you know, whatever you're going to get if Colts came or whatever it is. Um, I think, how do you advise people when they want to, if they want to go into say, I want to be a short-term rental owner. How do you advise people in terms of running numbers to, to do that? Yeah. So, so I'm totally comfortable with people running numbers as a short-term rental to start and get excited. Yeah. Get yourself all jazzed up about it. Go look on, on air DNA, go look on data.rabu.com to, to understand kind of the expected outcome. Look at your comps from like other, other listings in the area, get yourself excited about that. I think that's totally fair. Make sure that you're uh, accounting for things properly. Cause even if you're buying a, a turnkey house, you know, it's in perfect condition, be ready to outfit that place. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be more expensive than you 
think it is to get all the beds, the silverware, the cow, like all that stuff is going to cost way more than you think. You know, I, I, I generally, and I try and do it as budget conscious as humanly possible just for materials in like a three bedroom, two bath. I probably spent about $12,000 per unit okay. getting it all, all ready to go. And obviously that can go up or down, but, and I, that that's, that's pretty, you know, cutting it tight. So make sure you're accounting for that. Make sure you're accounting for the repairs, the CapEx items, because so many people forget about those as I'm sure you're well aware from the long-term side, people don't, don't like to, to take care of the houses long-term or, or see that income come down, but also understand that your CapEx is going to be higher on a, uh, on a short-term or midterm rental because couches don't last 30 years. In fact, if you're getting a lot of traffic, you're lucky to get two years out of a couch. So just be ready and make sure you're accounting for all those things appropriately. Once we've gotten through all those things, you've got your property taxes, you've got your property management, please, for the love of God, make sure that you have a competent property manager, particularly if you're doing this from a distance. I, I think you know it's wildly important on the long-term side, but on the short term, you need somebody who's able to, to go out and deal with issues because things are going to come up mm -hmm. in your house. So just make sure that you're, you're equipped there. And once you've got your number at the end, great, fantastic. Hey, it looks looks gorgeous. All right, now go rerun those numbers. Go and make sure that, hey, if you had to convert this into a long-term rental because your property manager you know, wasn't working out because you, know, you realized it wasn't the right fit for you because of, of regulation changes, you want to yeah. make sure that, hey, long-term happens, that you're not going to lose your shirt. And yeah, you might not be you know, $300, $400 a month positive cash flow, net of all of those things we talked about, repairs, CapEx, property management, all of those things. But as long as you're kind of like breaking even and you're able to hold it, you're getting the, the benefits of the loan pay down, the appreciation, the, the tax benefits and the inflation hedging, um, then I think you can you can do it. But I saw so many people that were buying these $600,000, $700,000 houses for a while, they were doing incredible things that, you know, yes, they would make incredible returns. You know, they'd make seven, $8,000 a month on short term. But those things would only rent out long term for $3,000. they would be losing their shirt and yeah. would see relatively negative yield if if they had to, to transition. And so so for that reason, I, I, I'm comfortable people starting with the short term, but make sure that you're doing the validation of the long term on the back end. Yeah, I think that's smart. So let's talk about central Indiana as a apparently a good market to do short-term, midterm in in some areas. But so someone comes to you and they're all excited. Um, and they say, Yeah, I got this, you know, great three-bedroom, two bath, all brick ranch near Lawrence Central High School. Um <laughs> What do you tell them? So, so really fundamentally, uh, the question you need to ask yourself is why is somebody coming here? Like you, you want to be around a desirable situation. I, I, I'm not super familiar with that area, but right. I don't know a whole lot of attractions that would draw somebody to, to Lawrence High School from, from out of town. Right. And so I would probably advocate that they try to define for themselves who their target customers go look at your comps in the area, go look at their calendar, see if they're actually filled up, look at, you know, historical uh, rates in that area. But I would probably advocate you don't make that purchase. You know, the, the kind of houses that I've seen be successful are the ones that have some type of environmental draw. Bates Hendricks crushes from an Airbnb perspective, or at least has historically, because uh, it's so close to downtown. You know, you've got the, the Colts, the Pacers, uh, and then you've also got all the stuff that's happening there. You know, Noblesville tends to do very, very well because really? you've got downtown Noblesville. It's absolutely beautiful. Tons of events. you got the event center, you know, all that, that great stuff. 
you know, Westfield tends to do really well because you got Grant Park, you know, you got all that stuff that's driving, driving people to those markets. Understand who your target customer is. If you just think, hey, yeah, it, it, I'm going to put up some, some kind of meh house, you know, $150,000, $160,000 house, and I'm just going to juice my returns because it's on the short-term platform instead of on the long-term, I, I think you're going to be disappointed without, without some type of, of plan or, or really just customer understanding. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Um, and you're, you're right. I, I think, you know, for a lot of investors, they don't want to, and I under, totally understand. I, I probably feel fit very much into this camp. Scott and I both probably feel the exact same way is that we don't want to, as you said, juice up our houses. Like we don't want to put all these whiz bang, like incredible appliances and cabinets and things that you mentioned. And I love your analogy. I think you're exactly right. Or not an analogy, but your example of, I couldn't afford to have that long term. Like I couldn't afford to buy that, but I can afford to rent it for a couple of nights. I love that. And I think that lift, that extra money to get that house to a position where you've separated it or you've made it extremely appealing, a lot of investors don't want to do that. And I get that. Um, so it does take a certain mindset that you got to get into. And I think, again, I think it's a hospitality mindset. As an investor, not only as a property manager, but as an investor, like I am trying to create a product that's going to really compel people <laughs> to yeah. say, I want to stay there. And it's just I, a different mindset, I think. I, and I, I want to adjust what you just said. Like, I think you nailed it, except for one word. You said a product. I think what you're trying to create is an experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so, so just having the house isn't enough. You've got right. to create a, that, that beautiful experience for them to to come into and, and, and live in there for a couple of days. Yeah, that's good. So tell me, Nick, when you sign a 12-month lease, you have 100% occupancy, right? Someone's there every day. When you do a short-term rental from, let's say, January 1 of this year to the end of this year, what kind of occupancy do you need generally speaking to yeah. make it work like to yeah. say i've i've okay so i beat my long-term rental rate with x occupancy and now i'm doing better at this occupancy well, what do you guys have some numbers in mind that you would kind of advise people yeah so i, I can speak to central indiana but each each market's going to be different and yeah. you know tennessee might have have very different you know ebbs and flows throughout the market mm -hmm. and I, I can talk about a couple of examples here locally you know i, I would say anywhere from 55 to 65 percent is is pretty darn solid mm -hmm. for us here in in indiana i, I generally find that if you're much higher than that, you're probably not pricing your your nights high enough to really maximize your yield. Because at the end of the day, what we're optimizing for isn't your isn't your nightly occupancy, what you're optimizing for is your total revenue. And I think a lot of people end up end up missing that. And uh, in the grand scheme of things, I would rather have the place vacant for a night than get get you know negative negative cash flow net of everything. So yeah, I'd say 55 to 65 percent is is pretty darn standard. Midterm, I think you can push a little bit higher. I think you could probably be sitting closer to you know 75 percent. Now the thing to to be cognizant of is you know, I know you said, hey, you, you signed a 12 month lease, you've got 100% occupancy. That's true until, you know, until out. the place eventually vacates, and you've got to right. do the turn and all that. So, right. you know, it, it, there's su such pros and cons to each of them. And you, you need to as the investor, understand your your risk profile, and, and kind of kind of go forward with that. So yeah, those are generally the targets that, that I like to think about. With that in mind, I actually see something a little bit different. I own a couple of down in Bloomington and yeah. I don't hit anywhere near 
anywhere near that 55 number. I'm probably closer to, to 45. Now, it is super, super peaky in Bloomington. Sure. So I've owned a couple of wedding venues, the nights of weddings. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, I'm always booked and no questions. I, I do incredibly, you know, then around graduation. Oh my gosh. The, like, you, you will see a 20X, 30X return on a nightly basis for the, the days around graduation down in Bloomington. For anybody who's not familiar, that's where IU is based. And then around football games, around basketball games, you're going to see it being super, super peaky in those times. So while I might not necessarily have the same occupancy from a, a night's perspective, the yield there could be absolutely astronomical during those peaky seasons. And that's what I'm optimizing for. Yeah. Yeah. My son just graduated from IU and he told me about some friends that whose parents flew in and they stayed at the graduate, which is a hotel right there in Bloomington. And I don't remember the nightly rate. It was something you just almost couldn't believe. It's like gouging, you know, because they just, as you're right, you can just charge a ton more because when you have, I don't know what grad, how many kids graduate in Bloomington in a given year, is it 10,000 or so? It's a lot yeah. of parents, a lot of grandparents, a lot of cousins coming in and it push, puts a tremendous strain on the housing stock down there. So I'm sure prices do get a little wacky. Yeah, no, it gets absolutely astronomical. I had a, I have a friend who manages this one building down there and their penthouse for graduation weekend went for, I think it was like $18,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then that's like a, a three or four bedroom. Like it, we're not talking about something crazy. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. That, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot of money. A little more than I'd spend. Yeah. So if you had to narrow down just a few key things for someone to be successful, mm. like bullet point stuff. And you can elaborate if you want, but if you say, Hey, Jeremy, you want to do short-term rental. These are the three to five things that will ultimately dictate your success. You need to keep your eye on what, what, yeah. what would you, what would you consider those? Yeah. We touched on one of them, multiple exit strategies, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Make sure that you're prepared. If things shift in your market, that you can, you can weather that storm, have a somebody on your team who is very much focused on the customer experience, both from a, an outfitting of the the property, in addition to the the nightly situation, you've got to be just an absolute servant to these to these customers on a regular basis. And so make sure whether that's you, whether that's your property manager, you've got the right person in place. Number three, I'd say is systems and automation. This is a high, high touch type of, of way of, of working and, and doing business. And I, what I see a lot of short-term managers do is they're trying to respond to everybody and, and you know answer all the questions as they come in. What I found within my own portfolio to, to be successful, which to be clear, I've only got you know in the, the you know, 10 range of, of short-term midterms mm -hmm. within my portfolio. But what I've found to, to be successful is absolute automation from a messaging perspective out to clients. Uh, we proactively are answering questions so that the questions aren't coming in. Sure. I would say we actually have to interface and interact with maybe one out of every five customers that come wow. through us. Yeah. So, but that's through trial and error, making sure to get ahead. Every time we get a question, it's like, oh, how do we not get that question again? Or like literally just give the emoji of like, look above. We answered that already. But the, so, so I would say automation is key. Same with the cleaners, making sure that the cleaners are automated so that you don't have to, to manage that on a regular basis. Set the table for yourself effectively to start with. Don't just put it out there and, and expect, you know, the, the listings to start or the, the bookings to start coming in, go in and maybe have a friend stay there, stay there in quotes uh, for a night and get, get you a couple of five-star reviews to, right. to start things off and, and get things rolling. Um, 
I, I would say that those are kind of the key ones. And then make sure you have a budget in place to, to deal with, with all the issues that are going to come up with all the outfitting of the unit, because you're not going to just, you know, go and, and put a little fresh paint on the walls and call it a day. This is going to need to, to be an experience like we talked about in order to, to be successful. And then actually the last thing that I'll say, a lot of people really like to, um, to, to put their, their calendars out there and just say, Hey, you know, book me for the next year. That's totally, totally fine. And I think that's, that's one approach uh, using, you know, tools like price labs or any of these automatic pricers that look at demand in your particular market can be absolutely fantastic to making sure you're not missing out on too much opportunity by unlocking your window and trying to, to book as many nights as humanly possible. But when you do that, you are essentially limiting your your flexibility. Uh, if I book something out in the middle of August today, what that means is if for whatever reason, I, I somebody comes to me with a, a crazy stupid offer on a midterm rental for that house for June through September, I can't accept it without canceling that, that booking, which causes a whole lot of downstream ramifications. So I like to actually only unlock anywhere from three to six months of my calendar, because again, I like to keep that flexibility of taking a longer term or a midterm rental for, for that period. If, you know, I really just want to de-risk myself. Yeah. I just, a couple of things came to mind when you were talking there about, you know, your calendaring and what you open up. There's a couple of really interesting events happening in central Indiana. There's the all-star game. That's oh, next yeah. month, I believe. Right? I believe it's the 15th. Yeah. yeah. Are you, are you booked? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're booked on, on most of our units. We actually are just putting one up. I'll be out there later today. And I have set our calendar to go live or we're only booking starting on February 10th so that we can maximize that weekend. Mm, nice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the city's gearing up. I saw they put a full court basketball court at the airport. It's so cool. Wow. And they were talking, they were yeah. talking about all hotels are just totally booked downtown. It's like, they're, it's, oh, so yeah. I was thinking like, Hey, these short-term operators are probably going to enjoy a, a nice month in February, but also something is the eclipse. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with this? This is an April, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And like, I have an uncle who booked a place up here like two years ago. Yeah. Because it's a, it's an, it's a, actually a, the, the classic bed and breakfast in the, on the old North side, because he's really into that. He wants to be here for that. Is that, are you seeing, have you, have, have you opened up your books for, for April yet? For most of our stuff, we have not opened up April yet. But okay. again, that that's some of the reason why you don't want to unlock your calendar too early. You don't know what might come now. An eclipse, I, I think we we can pretty much figure those out in advance. But you know whether or not we get an all star weekend, you know if if you know whether you know whatever whatever might come up in a the Colts area. playoff game, right? Like Absolutely. a big Colts playoff game. I, I don't think we need to plan on that next year. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> But, um, but yeah, you, you want to make sure to leave yourself flexibility so that when those surge weekends happen, that you're prepared for it, that you don't haven't already booked it out months and months in advance at a, a depressed rate. You want to maximize that per night booking rate. And so right. it, it's a tough balancing act that you've got to, you got to make there. So you you look at yours as you don't say, Hey, one, two, three main street is hundred percent short term, but one, two, four main street, I'm going to do hundred percent midterm. Do you mix and match there? I'm assuming just based I on absolutely mix and match. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Um, and, and really what it comes down to is not a whole lot of people come to Indianapolis. It's negative five degrees outside. Sure. Uh, for anybody who's been uh, shoveling snow with me the last couple of days, you'll, you'll understand. Um, and for that reason, I want to go and get midterm rentals during that period. I want to, I want to fill the gaps as much as humanly possible in order to, to maximize that revenue. And I understand that there are times of year in different sides of, of Indianapolis and, and the surrounding markets that I'm going to be successful at this time of year and 
hey, I need to just take any dollar I can get during this time of year. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think keeping that flexibility and working with a property manager who understands that and does both is super important. You and I touched on it a little bit uh, recently, and I've, I've talked to a couple members of the TNH team about it. But I think you guys have totally made the right call of being a long-term rental and sticking to that. I mm -hmm. think midterm rentals are an offshoot of short-term scaling of long-term, if that makes right. sense. And so I think you're kind of hitting it right on the head. But you want to work with, if you're going to do short terms, if you're going to do midterms, you want to work with somebody who can do both for you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because they're they're outfitted the same way, it seems like. Yeah. It's just a, at that point, it becomes a, a length of stay thing, I guess. Exactly. It's a differentiator. But okay, let's let's wrap up by talking about Central Indiana specifically. I want to give you a couple of things that I consider to be threats for short-term, specifically short-term operators. Yeah. Hotels are build, being built like crazy mm -hmm. right now, mm -hmm. like downtown is seeing. And they, and frankly, downtown needed it. But there are a lot, a lot of hotel projects going on right now. Do the short-term operators, like you mentioned, Bates Hendricks does really well. That's near downtown, obviously. Is that a concern? Is that a threat to the short-term market? Ooh, um, yes and no. I, I think it's a threat to anybody who has a generic experience. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you're just, you, you exist because you're overflow when the hotels are filled, then yeah, you're, you're in big trouble where hotels tend to fall down is in the one, you know, creating the, the gen generic experience. And now it can be very nice, but it's generic. Um, the other place where they fall down is it's not great for families to stay together. Uh, you know, you don't tend to get right. a whole lot of three bedrooms where grandma can come travel with, you know, the, the parents and the kids. And so I would say the smaller units are probably going to struggle a little bit as well when that happens, because right. again, those are more uh, analogous to one another, yeah. a hotel room versus a two bedroom. Those are kind of, kind of similar, but if you have the opportunity to, to host a bachelor party, if you've got the opportunity to, to, to host a, a race team, you know, which has happened in, in some of our rentals before, because your place is a little bit larger, then I think you're, you're less at risk uh, in those scenarios. But if you're, you're very easily replaced by a hotel room, absolutely. Right. Okay. Secondly, you live in a area that is very concerned about its image, I'll say, about its infrastructure, about its people, which is good. And that's Carmel. Hamilton County generally is our wealthiest county in, in yep. the state. I just saw Fishers was ranked the, the safest city in America. Yeah, I think it took it from crazy. Carmel. I was I was heartbroken. I guess I got to move back. Yeah, Carmel was right there too, though. It was in yeah. top five or something like that. Yeah. But regulation, you know, mm -hmm. I'll say my, again, my very, very limited experience short term is that if it's not, if I, if I see a listing down there that doesn't have the ability to do short term rentals and they, they will state it pretty clearly that does not accept this neighborhood does not accept overnight rentals. I don't look at it. Right. And those listings do take longer to sell down there because there's a lot of short-term operators and pe people yeah. use it kind of like me of going down there for a few weeks and the rest time doing a, a short-term rental scenario. But mm -hmm. there's been a lot of press. We're not directly involved with one, but we took a, we took a property that was on a short-term rental program that had some police calls and a lot of just problems with parties and things like that. And the owner client just said, Hey, I'm done. Like I, I'm out of here. I don't want to do this. Does regulation concern you in some specific areas? Like, you know, maybe like a, like I mentioned, Old North Side, like a Heron Morton, mm -hmm. like that have very, like Carmel, like very involved neighborhoods, very 
And in some cases, very wealthy people who have influence that say, I don't want this hotel next to me anymore. Does that concern you? I mean, I'm sure it's not, it's not an Indianapolis problem. I'm just saying specifically yeah. to Indianapolis, is that something that you see or that you think about or you advise on, or is it like, it is what it is? And we yeah, have no, I, I give it a lot of thought. Generally what I, I, I think is, uh, well, Carmel, for instance, they don't allow short-term rentals unless it's an owner occupied house where you're renting out part of your home. Gotcha. You're, you're not able to, to do it up here. Um, Fishers doesn't look like they've gone quite down that same path. Noblesville obviously hasn't. With that in mind, I I do have concerns and thoughts about that. And that's that's one of the key reasons why I advocate that people have multiple exit strategies and have multiple multiple plans. One of the ways around the, the short-term issue here in Carmel in most situations is to transition to the midterm side of things. And again, that's that's an opportunity that does that does exist long term within this market. It's absolutely something that that concerns me. The other side of this that that we haven't necessarily covered is a lot of people are buying these short term rentals. And that's not necessarily helping the whole housing crisis that we have in this country today. Sure. And so yeah, I can imagine regulations changing fairly substantially uh, in the future. I, I find it hard to imagine. And maybe maybe this is an incorrect way of viewing it. But in the redder states in particular, and again, I don't care what your politics are, but just understanding that the local dynamics is important. In the redder states, I find it hard to imagine the state taking away the ability to to take action and, and utilize a property as it's currently being utilized. But I could imagine them potentially blocking new listings. For instance, I own quite a few rentals down in Brown County. Mm -hmm. If you are aware, Brown County has severe limitations around your ability to, to, to have short-term rentals. No two of them can be within a quarter mile of each other. There's a whole, wow. whole thing down there. Yeah. And uh, it's actually caused issues uh, for me. I own two houses on 125 acres. And only nice. one of them can be a short-term rental, which is just a crazy thing to, to think about. So yeah, it absolutely is a, a concern and um, nobody should put all their eggs in that basket. It should be a strategy. It should be a piece of a wider uh, investment strategy in general, but it shouldn't be the somebody's one and only investing and in, in retirement plan, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like the people who buy those $600,000, $700,000 homes and bling them out basically. And then you know, if a neighborhood like that comes around and just says, there's no more short-term rentals here, that's a problem because you mentioned like they may get six or 7,000. I think that was your numbers you used on a short term, but it's probably 3,000 on yeah. a long-term. It's a big difference in cash flow. I, I, so I will also say though, that long-term rentals aren't without their risk too. And these, these higher end areas, for instance, my, my community and I went and fought this as hard as humanly possible. My HOA here in, in Carmel tried to block rentals in our community, which I... I absolutely hate it as a, a, a rental investor myself. Don't plan on moving. Don't plan on renting my place out. But yeah, that that felt like such a, an elitist thing to do. So just be aware that HOAs have the ability to block those as well. Yeah. From someone who's lived here a long time, I would say that's so caramel. Oh, it's very caramel. <laughs> very, very caramel. There's a reason I, I'm thinking about moving back to Fishers. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we did a, we did a podcast. I think it's like our second or third podcast we ever did on HOA rental restrictions. Had an attorney come on and it's still listened to a lot because it's just a big deal. You're right. Long-term rentals have their own concerns about that, but all right, Nick. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. I want to spend just a minute or two on your, on what you do. Tell me first about I think it's interesting you're in construction. I just think that's an interesting line of business to choose. Tell me about what what you offer, what how you started that and 
Yeah. Um, so it started out of pain is really what it came to. I had been working with contractors for, for years and years here in Indianapolis and it felt like every single one of them had an expiration date to them. Uh, Hey, it took 12 months, it took 18 months, but eventually they all, all fell off. And when I went and I started uh, doing this real estate thing full time, I realized I did not have enough good contractors and Mm -hmm. several of the ones I was working with weren't the right people. And so I found one good one. And I decided, hey, you're going to come and you're just going to work for me. You're going to go yell at all the other contractors. You're going to project manage for me. And um, it went great. And then all my friends started asking, hey, can he do it for me too? And uh, and we started you know, offering that as a service. And then we just realized, hey, we have the opportunity to to control things a little bit more if we bring it in-house. And so we've been doing construction for people. Really, what we're trying to do is protect uh, protect the long-distance investors, protect, hell, just the, the people here within the market that don't know construction. You know, how, how do we make sure that they have a good experience? How do we make sure that somebody's protecting them? Because um, we've seen Indianapolis, and you're, you're as aware of this as anybody, Indianapolis has a, a bad name in a lot of ways with regards to service providers, particularly for out-of-state investors. There've been a lot of of terrible property managers, ton of terrible contractors, ton of terrible agents. And you've done a great job of, of, you know, staying, staying above that and helping people through those situations from a property management perspective. We want to do the same thing on the construction side. So really anything, anything people need from a construction standpoint, feel free to to reach out to, to offleashconstruction.com. And and we're here to to help hopefully make the experience a little bit better and not just not make big promises and then change order. You got the wazoo. Yeah. Contractors, good contractors. I've said this probably 20 times on this podcast, good contractors are hard to find. They just are yes. consistent uh, contractors are hard to find. And, you know, we we don't use the cheapest contractors in town because you don't want us to use the cheapest contractors in town. <laughs> no, right? I, I've made that mistake. I've made that yeah. mistake, everybody. Yeah, the cheap one, th- there's a reason they're cheap. That's right. Yeah, because you're right. The expir- Like you said, the expiration date that, that, that's there. And because uh, it's, look, it's it's some of the hardest labor to find. You know, maintenance techs or contractors, they're, they're hard to find. And when you got them, you got to, take care of them and treat them well and all that good stuff. And then you also do some consulting. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So actually it's, it's one of the things that we add as a, a perk to anybody who decides they want to work with us on the construction side, but we, we do it as well. We've got a community where people are able to come in, ask questions, use our calculators. And we have multiple office hours, meetings with our contractors, meetings with, with our deal analyzers, where people are able to come in and, and really just learn. And so, yeah, we've got a, a coaching program that helps take people from Hey, I'm interested in real estate investing all the way through, you know, I own my first property and hopefully we can, we can save people from making the 99 mistakes I made along the way. Yeah. So like you get better when you make mistakes. So I think think mistakes are, are, there's some mistakes you just kind of have to make to understand that it was a mistake and and feel it. And then you you grow, but so if people want to reach you, Nick, what's, you mentioned a a website earlier, but what's the best way to reach Nick? Yeah. If they want to do that. Yeah, I mean, you can reach out to me on Instagram and all that, but uh, but you're probably going to get my team. I, I don't tend to spend a lot of time on social media. Best way to get in contact with me is uh, honestly email. Email is my social media, which sounds like the nerdiest thing in the world, but it's nick at offleashinvestments.com. Yeah, nick at offleashinvestments.com. Trying to keep it simple. I had to take my last name out of it because nobody was ever going to spell that. <laughs> yeah, I can see that could be that could that could trip you up a little bit. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Nick, it's been fun. Um, I'll have you on again to talk. We, there's a thousand things I'd like to talk to you about, but we got. I wanted to focus on this first and maybe we'll have you on down the road. I, re- I really appreciate you being here though. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have yeah. a good one. 
We hope everyone has picked up some information that will help them in their investing. We'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. In the meantime, we encourage you to share this podcast with your investing friends, leave us a review, and don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and please stay invested in your investment.